great to be here. Uh, what an amazing day yesterday. Yeah, so good. Well, I don't want to speak for too long uh, this morning because I really want to um, for us to pray. I believe, you know, God is a, is is a God of the miraculous, and for the past how long I've been following the Lord, twenty-seven years uh, or more. My wife is here, she tell me exactly how long. <laughs> but uh, um, I've seen God move in, in incredible power. And if you're sick here, if you need healing, if you need a miracle in your life, if you need breakthrough, you're in the right place because God is here to meet with you. And He loves you with all of His heart. He is relentlessly pursuing you and those who you love who don't know Jesus, who are far away from Him. He's relentlessly pursuing then also, if you're here, you don't know why you're here, he's got you here to listen to me, and I don't know why it would be me, but as God has a sense of humour, I really don't know why the Lord would choose to work through me. I, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a shy introvert. Um, I can, you know, I, I find it hard communicating with people, especially when I've just met them for the first time. It can be quite awkward. Um, I remember being, <laughs> being in a conference in Finland. I'll give you, I'll give you kind of the example of, you know, awkward conversations. Um, a, a man approached me. He said hi. He said, um, he said, I'm pretty. And I said, you're pretty. And he said, you think I'm pretty? That awkward moment where I thought I didn't want to, like, you know, upset him. I said, well, sort of. And he said, I'm not gay. <laughs> I went, uh, what's your name again? I said, it's Freddie. Oh, no. <laughs> so he was introducing himself as Freddie. And I just thought he was calling himself pretty. <laughs> so that's kind of, like, you know, awkward conversations that I have. And... And, and God has seems to just put me in the front, and I just don't know. But what I've seen God do, it's been, it's been absolutely amazing. And from those early days when I first opened my heart to Jesus, and he met with me in such an amazing way, and I began to read his words and the promises that he would make to me, and um, I was afraid because I couldn't trust him. I find it very difficult to trust anybody. And I, I, I was a in a place in my life where I, I just said to God, Lord, I, I'm going to make a decision to follow you, really follow you, and to trust you. With that. I'm making a decision. But, and this was the fear that was now coming out, the, the, the but part was the fear. But if this word isn't true, I'm going to tear this Bible up, I'm going to throw it in the dustbin, I'm going to tell everyone this is... Uh, a lie, it's, it's in your imagination, it's not true. Because that, that fear came because, I, because um, I thought if this word isn't true, if God isn't real, if, if the Jesus who I've just opened my heart to is not who he says he is, I'm in trouble. You have to read my, you have to read my book. 
by another shameless plug. I'm sorry for having you here. They're We've all got three. Stepping into We've the impossible. We've got three left. Oh, three left? Yeah. You mean they didn't sell? <laughs> oh, there's three left. Stepping into the impossible. So get it and read it, and you'll, you'll have some understanding. But, but what, what happened to me was that God spoke, spoke to my heart. He said, test me. Now, and normally God doesn't say test me. We're, we're not really to test God. But because he knew my heart, and he was so gracious to me, that even if I said, oh, I'll throw, the, throw his word in the dustbin, he knew, he knew my heart. I was just fearful. And I so wanted his word to be true. But I decided to trust him. And I'm going to share the story because you shared that story about the lock. So, I'll give you an example of how I decided to trust God. Right, at the time came where, you know, I, I, I didn't know... I was in a situation where I didn't know where my next meal was coming from. I don't have to go into detail how I got to that place, but I was in a, a desperate situation. I want to tell you that God fed me every single day supernaturally. It was, it was amazing. You know, I used to have a, a job as an interior decorating specialist, um, and when I was working, uh, you know, money wasn't a problem. But when you're not working and you've lost everything, it's like... I was in a desperate situation. I was broken in so many ways. But now I put my trust in God, and God has proven Himself to me in, in incredible ways. And I, so I'll give you an example. I went to park my car in a car park. I'm going to show you how, how powerful God is when you really trust Him. Uh, I parked my car in a car park, and that, a, a car park I've been to hundreds of times before. Um, I came back. To my car, I, I was looking in my pockets. I thought, gosh, I've lost my keys. You know, and as I was searching my pockets, I glanced into the car and saw the key in the ignition still. And I locked the door. Now, at that moment, what would you do? What would your reaction be? Yeah, you'd, you'd be thinking of all the logical ways of how you're going to open the car door. Jesus said, my kingdom is none of this world. And he lives in an entirely different kingdom. Where he, when, when his kingdom comes, he can walk on water. You read the Bible. And I know you're going to think, well, how is that possible? It's because the kingdom of God is far superior than this one. It is a kingdom of heaven. And in that environment, miracles can take place. And so, because of this relationship that I had with the Lord at that, at that time, um, and he had asked, he told me to test him, I stopped there in the car park and I said, this is what I said to the Lord. This is going to be a tough one for you now. <laughs> you know, I thought, how are you going to get me out of this? This is like, this is going to be, you know, impossible. impossible. Thank you. And, and then straight away, straight away, I'm just talking to the Lord about thinking, I've got you now. This man starts to walk over to me. And he starts to complain about someone who had parked his car in such a way that he couldn't leave the car park. And I went, I said, excuse me, can I ask you a question? So this is going to sound really odd now, and I know you're going to think I'm very strange in asking this question, but could I please have your car key to open my car door? And because straight away I knew that God had sent him to open my car door. Right? Now I know this sounds crazy, and you may think, this guy's down here is crazy. Just bear with me. Uh, and he looked at me and he thought, this guy's crazy. You know, that look that said he's crazy. I said, no, please. 
I know this sounds really odd, but could you please, can I please have your car key to open my car door? He says, no, I've got a Japanese car. It won't fit in your, in, the key will not fit into your car door. I said, but please, just, just, you know, I'll, I'll show you, will. He said, no, you won't. He said, I know you think I'm going to break your car key or do something, but please don't leave here without you trying. At least you can try it. And he'll look, I'll show you that it will fit. And he took his car key and he went straight into the car door. He took it. That's odd. He turned it and the car door opened. No. And I began to worship God. Worship God in the streets. So, so then, um, and then I had some really good friends. In fact, um, Annette is a, a really good friend of ours who we, we would go onto the streets. We had a team of, in those early days, we'd go onto the streets and, and share the love of God with people and saw miracles taking place. And, and she was looking for a part, and I was praying for the right man for, for Annette, and she met, and Annette is Nigerian, she met Manny, who's a Ghanaian, great guy, and um, they, they got married and said, we want to take all of you, all our friends, for a meal to our new home. Uh, we're going to go in convoy, follow us, and we're going to, um, you know, uh, we've got to stop off to get some buy a few things, and then just, just follow us, park behind us and follow us. By then, I had changed my car, now I, you know, um, I'd gone back to work, I was able to, you know, had a bit more finance, I bought a Saab, and you know with the Saab, any of you have a Saab, you can't leave the key in the ignition, <laughs> and it's a central console, you know, it's quite a fat key, Saab key. And so, um, I'm sitting, you know, I'm driving behind my unit, and they've got a brand new car, Red car, I can't remember what car it was. And they pulled over, stopped at shops, they went out to, to buy some, some spices or whatever they needed. And, they, and we were waiting for them. They came back to the car and I saw Manny go. And I knew exactly what he'd done. He had locked his car keys in the car. And the exact same thing I did. So we all got out of our, out of our cars. And Manny says, Guys, look, could you? Could you do something for me right now? Could you get your car keys and try all the car, the, all the keys in all the locks and see if one of your, you know, if you, if you put it and wiggle it, maybe it might just open up. And one of your keys may just open up one of the car doors, one of our car doors. So we all did that. I did it. My SAR key would not fit into the lock. Okay. While we're doing, while we're doing that, now I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but I, I promise you, if my wife was here, she would tell you, this is exactly what happened. A man was walking by and he stopped, he says, um, I see you're trying to get into this car. Uh, whose, car whose car is it? The man says, my car. I said, listen, I'm an ex-car thief. <laughs> and I can get into this car in about 30 seconds. <laughs> a man says, if you can get into this car without damaging anything, would you please do it? So I said, okay, no problem. And he tried. Ten minutes went by, he wasn't getting in. He said, I need a wire coat hanger. And Manny said, Mark, you, you've got, at the time I was living in a bed set, just around the corner. And Manny said, Mark, would you go around uh, uh, and would you mind getting a, you know, a wire coat hanger from, from the bed set? I said, sure, no, no problem. So I was walking around, and I, start, I began to talk to the Lord. I said, Lord, we, we don't do it this way. Tell you what, when we come back, we're going to do it your way. 
So I went back, and there's still, by the passenger side, which is by the pavement, trying to get into the passenger side door. And he's still, so I handed the wire coat hanger. I went round to the driver's side door. I got my Saab key, which I'd already tried to fit into the door, could not fit. And I said, thank you, Lord. I believe. And the, door, and the key went straight in. I turned the door open. The first person around to me was the ex-car thief. He said, okay, okay, mate, how did you do it? This was in the East End of London, by the way. He said, okay, mate, how did you do it? I said, if I told you, you, you won't believe me. He said, try me. He said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and I believe in a God of miracles. And I believe that this key would open this car door. With all of my heart, I believed it. And it did. He said, nah, mate. And he took, shook his head. He says, you've got some trick up your sleeve. And he walked away shaking his head. Well, I, I was in um, a place called Edmonton Green. I don't know if anyone's ever been there. And we had this most amazing, it's, it's not actually a green, it's a big, you know, uh, paved area outside a shopping centre. And, and we were doing some work at the church there. And there was incredible signs and wonders, you know, people being healed, people like diving onto the pavement, getting delivered, people being healed. Uh, there was this incredible, there, there was, I started to pray for this woman who had a word of knowledge for, this Greek couple were walking by, mother and daughter, and the mother said to her daughter in Greek, and it's all Greek to me, I don't understand the words of it, and they said, that man is trying to fool everyone into believing that Jesus Christ heals today. He said, it's a lie. He died 2,000 years ago. That's the end of the story. But standing next to me, just happened to be one of the leaders of the church there, who, his name is John, and just happened to be Greek, and replied back to them in their native tongue, which made them feel absolutely shocked and stopped. And he said, why don't you believe? So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just watched what he's going to do. And I love leaders who are full of faith. And they stood there over to the side, and this woman just dived through the air past me. I had a word of knowledge for her. God wanted to set her free. She died past me. And she spun in midair and she landed on her back over there. And the person standing behind her went, no. Because in those days, we, we, we didn't do healing streets the sophisticated way with the chairs. That's why we have chairs to stop people diving all over the place. And I did see someone on the ground yesterday, which I thought, hmm, that's not meant to happen. <laughs> but anyway. Um, and the whole afternoon was signs and wonders of people getting healed, breakthroughs, incredible. And that couple who just stood there all afternoon watching, opened their hearts up to Jesus and believed in him and received him into their lives. Um, when, when that was over, we went back to the church and it was a Saturday evening and I began to share. Uh, just, you know, we had a little debrief and I began to share and talk and encourage the church some more. And then it was time to go home. I went to get my equipment, my evangelist equipment, but it just happened to be locked in someone else's vehicle. <laughs> and I just happened to have shared, there was just two stories that I just shared with you about the cars. And as we, as we came to the car park, and I was asking everyone, when the person who, who owned this car, the vehicle, my, all my equipment was locked in his vehicle, and he was gone. He wasn't there. And everyone stopped and they stared at me with the look that said, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you've been talking about this. So where, where is it? So I took my key out 
And I said, not for me, Lord, but for them. <laughs> Unbelieving Lord. And I stuck the key in the door, turned and it opened up. And um, praise God and we went on our way. God is a God of miracles. And he, you know, what I, what I see, God is, God is love. And he's pursuing people with his love. And he wants the world to encounter him, to count the reality of what it is to have a relationship with, with Jesus. All these years I've been following him. My Bible is still intact. It wasn't this one, but it was another one. Um, he has never failed me. Some things have happened that I haven't understood. But I know that God is always good. And I've seen thousands healed by the power of God. I've seen incredible miracles. And God wants to encourage you all here. He wants to just let you know how... I mean, if you could see how God is at work right now in your own lives, the way that God has even brought you here to this place today, you'd be amazed. If you could see behind the scenes of the working of God, and how his love is pursuing you and those who are far from you. If, uh, and I want to encourage you, um, if there are people who um, you're, who don't know Jesus and have been praying for them, maybe for years, I want to encourage you never to give up. Don't give up. So, um, I want to tell you a story. Some more stories. This will encourage you some more. So, this is, this is a story I love to share. Um, this is about God's relentless pursuit of people. He hears the cry of people who are far away from him. Sometimes people who don't know him, they're crying out. And you may want, you know, God hears those cries. He hears those cries. Sometimes there are people who don't know God, and they're desperate, and they're crying out. And God hears every cry. And I, I went to... Um, a church in Bishop's Dorford, and I launched healing on the streets there. I don't know if anyone knows Bishop's Dorford. Anyone been there yet? Okay, and I launched healing on the streets there, and I went to speak at the church on a Sunday. And as I was there, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. And that, that's information that, um, you know, hasn't come by normal natural means. It's through God communicating by His Holy Spirit knowledge that I didn't previously know. No one else has told me. Um, and, and what I felt the Lord saying was this, that there was a young lady in, uh, in the building. I couldn't see anyone. There was nobody that stood out to me. But there was a young lady there with a serious eating disorder that God wanted to heal, wanted to set free. And what God wanted to speak to that person. Um, some truth into that person's life. And I wanted to just to talk to that, that girl of his life. I said, if that's you, could you please come forward and hear what the Lord has to say to you? And out of the back came this incredibly thin girl who was obviously desperately ill with um, anorexia nervosa. And she came forward for prayer. And I just began to tell her what the Father, her Heavenly Father, was saying to her. And was revealing truth to the heart and the mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I prayed my best prayer. And I commanded 
that eating disorders to be broken in the name of Jesus. And then she went, and we pray for local other people as well. Well, sometime later I received this email. I'm going to read it out to you. I have permission to read this out, so it's not information that I can give permission to share this information. But this is the this is the email that I received. This was exactly three months later. Dear Mark, you don't know me, we never met, but you met my daughter Emily at St. James Bishop's Dorford on June the 26th. You prayed for her. She had been suffering with critical anorexia nervosa. At that time she weighed close to six stone and was a week away from being sectioned under the Mental Health Act. She had lost weight every week for 18 months. Since that day, she's gained weight every week. She now weighs eight stone and is looking healthy. This Saturday, this Saturday her mother and I dropped her at university to begin a degree course, which would have seemed like a foolish dream not long ago. And he wrote some other things to encourage me. And a year later, um, well, They sent me another message saying she remains very well and has just concluded year one of a degree in history at London University. But yeah, which is amazing. Come on, I was like so encouraged. Does any in eating disorder specialist, they would tell you that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Just doesn't happen. So to hear news like that later is so, so encouraging. We need to be encouraged. We love, we love when people come back and heal on the streets. We pray for people. And there's maybe no sign of anything happening. But later on, maybe a month, two months, sometimes a year, two and a half years later, people come back and tell us that God has healed them. And it's really encouraging. We love to be encouraged. We love to hear that. Exactly one year later, after I received that email, exactly one year later, I was in a church in Truro, and again we looked here on the streets there, and I was speaking on a Sunday morning. And, um, you know, I, I'm not the best of speakers, you know, but, but, uh, but I, do, I do my best. I do what God's given me. And just before I got up to speak, the pastor there said, the leader of the church said, there's a woman here who wants to share a story. So this woman came up to the front and she said, I, I'm not from this church, I'm from a church in Bishop Stortford, uh, where Mark came exactly a year ago to launch Healing on the Streets. Uh, Mark prayed for my daughter, Emily, who had anorexia nervosa, and she was completely healed. Wow. And this is one year later, and she is doing so well, right? And I'm hearing that just before I get up to speak. And like, I'm like, now I'm hearing a year later, she's still well. And I'm on fire. Wow. I'm on fire. I'm going to preach the best <laughs> message ever. So I preach my heart out after that. And as I'm doing that, I'm, I see this man squirming in his seat. Now I've got to tell you this, for any speaker, public speaker, when, you, when you're in a room, um, you, you see every movement in the room, right? You can see it when people squeeze a yawn out of their nose. <laughs> you can see it when people try to glance at their watch up this. You can see it when people <laughs> off. Uh, you see everything. Unfortunately, you see it. It doesn't help you, especially if you're, if 
quite insecure. And so, and, and, I, and I see this man squirming in his seat. I thought, well, I'm not, I know I'm not a great speaker. You know. But then he gets up and walks out. I thought, I didn't think I was that bad. And that's awful. When you're suddenly in the middle of your message, someone gets up and walks out. It's like, whoa. What on, did I just say something? <laughs> did I miscommunicate something? Anyway, he came back and he sat in his chair and he, he continued to squirm. And then eventually we came to the time we started to pray for people and he came forward. And I thought, now I'm going to hear what's up with this man. He's axing his pants. And he said, Mark, um, I'm really sorry. Um, I, I can't talk to you for very long. I'm feeling really emotional. Um, I'm Emily's father. I'm the one who sent you that email. He says, Mark, you don't know half the story. So the day before you prayed for Emily, I was climbing a mountain in the Alps. When God spoke to me and said, get your daughter Emily to church tomorrow. Um, Mark, you don't know how serious Emily was. She, her, her organs could have collapsed at any moment. I was at my wit's end. I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know what to do. I was, trying to clear, I was trying to think, I knew that when I returned back home, I would have to take Emily to the hospital. And, and I heard the voice of God, and I knew, I didn't even know, I knew I had to get back home, but I didn't even know if I'd make it in time. I didn't know what was happening in church, I didn't know who was speaking. But I travelled, non-stop, and I managed, we were a bit late, we got in, I managed to get there, we sat at the back, I was absolutely stunned when you had that word of knowledge for Emily, but I was even more amazed that she responded and came forward. And he shook me by the hand, he said, thank you so much, and he began to well up tears, he said, thank you so much. Wow. God healed Emily, thank you, and then he shot off. And the reason why he was screaming was because he was so emotional, he didn't want to, he didn't want to break down in tears in front of everyone. And I went, oh God, thank you so much, you know, I mean... I mean, God is so amazing, and I began to <coughs> thank God for his, for his love, for his kindness. And um, so what I did was I posted a little bit of what had happened on Facebook, just a little bit, about this man coming and speaking to me, about his daughter. And then I, got a, and then I received a private Facebook message from this woman who said, Mark, I am on the intercessory team of the church in Bishop Stortford where this man and Emily and you know his mum comes from. Her mum comes from. He says, Mark, you don't know half the story. <laughs> what? So Mark, we we have been praying for this man for the last um, 17 years. To his his wife was a Christian, but he wasn't. He was a businessman. He was hard against Christianity. He didn't want anything to do with Christianity. And, um, and we've been praying for him non-stop for the last 17 years. Until one day, on top of the mountain, we heard the voice of God speak to him. And say, get your daughter Emily. Church. And because of that, and because Emily was healed, that man gave his life to Jesus. And 
Well, I don't know what that's for you, but I certainly, you can, you know, if you want to thank God, please feel free to do that. <laughs> but, um, I'm just blown away with the Lord, I'm blown away with what God does. He, he hears the voice of people far away from him when he pursues them. And there's a passage of scripture, I'm just going to share this with you and then we'll get into it. I'll tell you one more story and then we'll pray. Are you doing okay? Yeah. Okay. So I'm reading from Mark chapter 4 verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet and still. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey them. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came to the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the iron to his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. But Jesus has said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Okay, we'll stop there. This is an amazing story. I love this story because here is the story of a man who is being completely tormented by evil spirits. And, you know, the community had tried to help him, but they were unable to. And this man had cut himself with stones. I mean, there is an epidemic in the nation of young people cutting themselves. I don't know if you're aware of this. They cut themselves. And there is, a, there is an evil source behind it that is driving young people to do this. And this man was cutting himself, he was screaming, um, he would, he would travel the tombs, he would, he would live amongst the tombs and the hills and he would cry out cut himself. And the community had tried to help him. They did their best. They tried, they tried, you know, restraining him. But he was so strong, demonically strong, that he tore apart chains. And he was so, such a terrifying figure, nobody could go near him. So what did they do? They were afraid. And they kept away. And, you know, we live in a time where there, are, where there are such broken people, such hurting people, where they are so being driven by the enemy, and there is an enemy that we have that wars against our soul and against our spirit. 
It's the devil. The devil, the devil is a fallen angel. It's one of God's, was at one time one of God's top angels. An evil spirit is a fallen angel. It's a spirit being without a body. But these forces are on the earth. But they look, they're spirit beings, they need a physical body to interface with this world. And, the, and people today are being driven by an evil force. It's so apparent when you look around, and in the natural, you cannot do anything. We do not have the power in the natural to, to help these people. And so, you know, we in Coleraine, we have areas uh, of our town where, where they're real, it's a real problem for the social service, the council, the police. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to help some of the people in these, in these very broken areas. But it's been amazing to see, especially for the last year, what God is doing, taking broken lives and, and giving fresh hope, releasing them from the bondage that the enemy has placed them in. I mean, I just read before I... I mean, I don't have time to read your story of Holly. But if you read her story, you'd be one broken hearted to hear the story. That people tell, even, so we, hit, we heard, I um, don't know when that lady was, I'm sharing, about, in healing streets, people come and sit in the chair, and they'll begin to pour out the brokenness, and the things that have been going on in their lives, and it's a shock, and sometimes it's the first time they've ever opened their heart to, to share, because it's a cry of help. And we're seeing a, a girl like Holly, great to the age of, such a young age, her life absolutely destroyed. When she and she just wants to die, she just wants to die. And, and when, but she couldn't do it because she has children. She felt so guilty that if she took her own life, that she couldn't bear the thought of what her, her children would think. And then when she was suspected to have breast cancer, she almost embraced it. She was hoping. Can you imagine this? that she was hoping for, the, for her would have been good news that she had breast cancer. But she thought that was the way out. There was, a, there was an evil force that gripped hold of her arm from the moment that she'd been abused. This evil force had gripped her arm, she felt that. And one day on the streets, she met one of our evangelists who told her about, the, about Jesus, who could deliver, who could heal, who could save. And Holly got set free. Right. Holly got set free. And her, her partner, who then suddenly he began to manifest this, this evil presence. What was on her was on him as well. And in a coffee bar in Coleraine, I mean, he became violent. He was, he was always threatening to hit Scott, who was a social evangelist. And in the coffee bar, Scott prayed for him, and he was delivered. But even that wasn't enough at that point for him to open his heart to Jesus. He was actually delivered in the coffee bar. He was set free of this evil force. And he said, I need more. So he said, okay, let me pray that God will prove himself. And he began to pray. And the wind of the Holy Spirit came in the coffee bar. <laughs> Blew through, through the coffee bar. And with that, Paul gave his heart to Jesus. That man, wow. that man, what he did, he went and 
paid off all these drug debts. So the drug dealers will be chasing him. Paid it all off. Destroyed all the jobs that he had. Went to his workplace. Went to his workplace and um, told all his workmates that he was now a believer in Jesus Christ. Followed God. And then he got home. He got his wife and family together and said, Now Jesus is the head of this household. They're in our church and they're doing amazing. They're doing amazing. I want to say, Jesus is the answer. But he hears the cry and, and this man who was at the end, the, the grip of the devil was on this man. And although the, the community couldn't help him, the answer was Jesus. And Jesus hears the cry and says, Come, we're going. We've got to go over there. And it was a place the disciples didn't want to go to. So they heard about it. Mm, don't want to go there. But as they began to travel, and Jesus, you know, he power naps in the way. He's really busy. When I'm flying back home, I better tell you, I'm going to power nap that short hour's flight, wherever it is, back to Belfast. Uh, he was power napping in the stern of the boat, and this storm suddenly comes, and it's demonically inspired. The enemy has whipped up the storm to prevent them from, from doing the very thing that God has said, let's go and do it. Jesus said, we're going there to, because I hear the cry and I, well, I'm going to bring the answer and the solution to that man. And the enemy wants to stop you from doing the very plan of God. The enemy is trying to stop you from coming here this morning. He would do that. He hates you hearing a message like this. A message of faith and hope. And especially what's going to happen after is when people begin to encounter the kingdom, encounter Jesus and get healed, get set free. The devil hates that. And as he's sleeping, the sea comes into the boat, the boat's in danger of sinking. And you know, sometimes, sometimes, in the midst of a storm like that, you think, God, where are you? I don't have you ever been in a storm and you think, God, where are you? I've been in many storms like that. And it's like God has been far away. It's almost like he's been sleeping. He's not aware of my situation. And it worries me, you know, you can almost hear the, get the violins out. <laughs> and the disciples, and they had a discussion amongst themselves. Can you imagine them thinking, We've got, to wake the, we've got to wake the master up. We've got to wake the teacher up. And he's sleeping. We're going to drown if we don't do something. And so eventually they wake him up. And that's probably Peter. I think it was Peter. And, and the first thing he says is, Teacher, don't care if we drown. And, and Peter gets up. Sorry, Jesus gets up from his sleep. And he looks at the situation. And basically, in a nutshell, this is what he's saying. This is what he's saying to the disciples. Guys, haven't you got it yet? Haven't you got it yet? They look at me. Because Jesus has given them authority. He's given them his authority. And so what he does, he, he's expecting the disciples to exercise the authority they've been given. And so what Jesus does is that he's saying, I'll show you. And he rebukes this demonic inspired wind. And he rebukes the waves and says, quiet, be still. And the roaring wind becomes a whisper and the sea becomes like a sea of glass. And the disciples are terrified. He says, who is this? 
that has authority even over the winds and the waves. Because what Jesus is trying to communicate is I have given you authority. I have given you the means to deal with everything that, that you're confronted with. And unless, you, and, and unless you begin to stand and take authority over those things that come against you, you will be hindered from ever stepping out. And what the enemy wants to do is keep you in a building like this. He wants to keep you here because you feel safe and secure here. But he says you've got to go. You've got to go to the brokenness, to the broken places, the hurting places, the dark places where, where no one else wants to go. The dangerous places where nobody wants to go. And that's where God's calling us because that is where his power is released. Yeah. That is where his heart beats. And when Jesus gets to that place, that, that man who, he, who is so demonized, full of demons, Jesus commands those demons to go and they leave him yeah. and he's set free. Yeah. He's completely free. I've got to tell you, we've seen, we've seen young people who have cut themselves. I have, I have pictures on my, on my, on my phone here of people who have cut themselves in their arms with scars in their arms and over a 10 minute period their scars, those scars have dissolved away to nothing. We've seen scars disappear. Go. Because Jesus is in the business of redeeming or making whole of cleansing, not just the outer scars, but the inner scars. And Jesus has power to do that. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. And I give you my authority. To every believer, the moment you believe, you have been given the very authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to heal the sick, to deliver the captives, to bring hope to those who don't know God. And there is hope for those who are far away from God, that you can know Jesus and have a relationship with him. God is taking the around the world. This, yeah. You know, I, I asked her, why did you choose me? And one day I heard the, the Lord say, who will go for us? And whom can we send? And I sort of looked around, and I went, and the Lord said, you'll do it. And all he all he's looking for is someone who's willing to say yes. That's all. God will work through anyone. If he can work through me. As a young Christian, I was a Christian a month old, and one of the ancestors came to me and said, Mark, the Father's given me a word for you. He said, Great, what is it? So I can't tell you. This word will only confirm, you've got to hear from him yourself, and this word will only confirm what he's been saying what he's been saying uh, to you that's all, we just confirm so I prayed earnestly, hope I don't know how long, but maybe a month I prayed really hard I fasted and then I heard God speak and I couldn't believe what I was hearing I'd be doing all the things that I'm doing now and then I went to pray and said, I think God's spoken to me but I can't believe I actually can't believe what I think he's saying I said, so tell me, what is it? What did he say? He said, no, 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 you, tell me. I said, no, but, but I need to hear from you because 
I could just tell you, you could just say, yes, that's what, that's what it was. <laughs> you know, I'm... Yeah, it's <laughs> And then Grace said to me, I've got it written down on a bit of paper in my, in my bag. It will just confirm, I'll give it to you, it will just confirm what God spoke to you. So I began to tell her. She opened the bag, she pulled out a piece of paper and gave me the very thing that God said. If somebody said to me, as a, a Christian, a month, a, a month old in knowing Jesus, my relationship with God, that I would travel the world, speak to thousands of people, I'd write a book, I'd be in a film, I'd do some crazy things, I would see thousands of people healed, I'd see the miracles of people coming out of wheelchairs, paralyzed people walking, or a man, I'd see a man who's blind, who's in his 40s, he has ping pong ball eyes. What I mean by that is no pupils, no iris. Wow. He closes his eyes, a team pray for him, he opens him up, he's got brown eyes. Wow. Where, where wow. a child, where a child with a, a condition that's called telepes, where you could shoot, a two and a half year old boy has never stood on his own two feet, and the feet are like this, and pointing in, and, and all, the only person touching this little boy is, is his mum, who's holding her in arms like this. And as we pray, a general prayer, his feet begin to turn wow. like this. Wow. Where people have been brought in on stretches, paralyzed, where one man brought in on a bicycle, propped up by two friends, paralyzed, brought miles, in Pakistan, in a, in a, in a village called Gujranwala, brought on a bicycle, pushed to where we were. And in a few minutes, he was walking up and down the platform. Where I see children, many, many children, born deaf and unable to speak. And not only could they speak and hear, but they could understand and speak early. Explain that. I can't get my head around that. A 14-year-old boy, born deaf and dumb, brought by his mother, completely healed and speaking with Pastor Youssef, emerging. Born, born deaf and unable to speak. And the mother's distraught. She's a Muslim. So go and speak to her, find out what's, what's, what's wrong. She said, I have two other sons just like him. I brought one to see what might happen. I saw the power of God in incredible ways. In Coleraine, we, we launched 10 years ago, Healing on the Streets. I'm going to finish with this. I don't know how long it Oh gosh, I've gone over time. Sorry. <laughs> we'll finish it. We're going to pray. Is that okay? Right. Don't have time for this story. Yeah, go on, go on, go on. Shall I? Start it. Um, it is a story actually I, I shared the other day, whether it was yesterday, I think. Um, and basically it was about this couple who live 110 miles away um, from, from us in the south. They live in a, in a town called Cabin. And we live right in the Causeway Coast. Uh, we're about a six-minute drive away from the beach, beautiful beach. You must come and visit. Because if you come and visit Causeway Coast, you need to come and do some sightseeing. The giant Causeway is a beautiful uh, part of, of Northern Ireland, and it's like a holiday resort or a little longer coast there. And they came for two-week holiday. At the end of their two-week holiday, they came to town to do some shopping, and they. Um, the Healing Streets team, our Healing Streets team, was 
have been outside the town hall for the last 10 years, every Saturday, without fail. They saw the banner that said healing. They thought we've got nothing to lose, let's get some prayer. So the husband brought his wife, who was paralyzed in the wheelchair, and pushed the chair, parked it between two chairs. The team knelt around her feet, told her about God's love, invited God's presence, prayed their best prayer, taking authority over paralysis, and then said to her, try and move your feet, try and do something that we can do. She tried her best, and nothing happened. So, and after a while, we stopped praying, and we, we began to reaffirm God's love to her, and said to her, this doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, God loves you with all his heart. This doesn't mean you're not going to get healed. Began to explain how healing comes. Because it can come three ways. It can either come instantly, it can come gradually, which is the most common way. The Bible says, a believer shall lay their hands on the sick. The sick shall recover. That word recover signifies a period of time. And the third way is where there's no sign of healing. But it doesn't mean that God's not going to heal you. And we can never guarantee healing. We put it, we leave healing in the hands of God. But sometimes we believe that God's moving, sometimes healing, there's no silence, but it's happened, it's begun. And it may happen as they leave, it could happen instantly, gradually, they may wake up the next day, or may take some time. But we said, whatever happens, let us know. They thanked us, they experienced God's love, God's presence, and they went on their way. They're driving home. They're about halfway home. It's pouring with rain, which isn't, it's pretty normal in the islands. Rains a lot. And it's pouring with rain, and suddenly the, the wife says to her husband, Stop the car, something's happening. So he pulls over to the side of the road, she gets out of the car, she runs around the car and up and down the street, completely healed. Wow. Their best friends, their best friends travel 110 miles to tell us and to ask us if we could pray for them because they were unable to have children. And, and I said, um, whenever it was I said it, that we have a high track record of childless couples conceiving and we were thinking of putting a, a little brass plaque behind our hardwood garden chairs that says, warning, you're in danger of becoming pregnant because children are a blessing from God. And again, I'd reaffirm that there, there, there may be some folk here who are unable to have children and I would love to pray for you. I have such faith. We've seen so many, so many people um, and in, incredible miracles as well. So we'd love to pray for you. Um, and then we just we thought, why did you heal this woman on the way to Cabin? Um, using any excuse to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we decided to take another team off to uh, Cabin. So at seven o'clock in the morning, uh, we headed off on a Saturday morning. We headed off to Cabin. Took a team, travelled 110 miles. We got to Cabin, we set up set up banners as we put our chairs out, we knelt on the ground and said, Holy Spirit come, let your presence come. We draw people, we can heal About 20-25 minutes later, people started coming to the chairs. And a mother brought her eight-year-old son, who had been had was born with problems with his legs, couldn't walk properly, had so many operations on his legs was unsuccessful, he couldn't walk properly. The eight-year-old boy sat in the chair, the team knelt around the chair, they prayed their best prayer, and they said, okay, hop off the chair, let's see if God has done anything. And he walked, this eight-year-old boy walked in a perfect straight line, and the mother, if only you could see her, and you've seen this, and those of you who've done Hebrew Street, you've seen this, where the eyes become like saucers, 
They can hardly believe what they're seeing or what they've experienced. And the mother was staring at, 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 at her son, couldn't hardly believe what she, what she was seeing. The next minute she was on her mobile phone, didn't know who she was phoning. Another 20, 25 minutes went by and suddenly carloads of people, <laughs> really carloads of people started to park. And they were coming out and they had some serious lung conditions. Well, I don't know where they're from, all different kinds of conditions. Um, well, actually, I do know where they're from, but anyway. Um, because there's more to this story again, which I didn't share, but I don't have time to tell you. But, but uh, they were sitting on the chairs and God was meeting with them in an amazing way, healing them, setting them free. And some of the women from this group were, were pleading with us if we could release two women to go with them to two houses, two homes, that were full of sick people that couldn't come. There were more sick people, but they couldn't come. And so, reluctantly, we let two go, Maxine and Caroline, went with these two and said, make sure you bring them back. <laughs> they went with them to these two houses, full of sick people. They put a chair out to the middle of this living room and invited people to come. And one by one, as they sat in the chair in the middle of the living room, God met with them and healed them. They went to the next house, again, full of sick people. And then in the corner, they saw this young man with a hunched back. And he was quite severe, curved to his spine. And, but he wasn't coming. He was still just standing in the corner watching other people see prayer. And most probably he thought, well, everyone has got, it's okay for them. What they have is invisible like this. And he must really thought, this is impossible. But further, Maxine coaxed him out of the corner with the love of God. He says, the Father loves you. God loves you. His power and his presence is to touch you. Please come. And, they, and please come and receive prayer. And slowly he began to walk out of the corner. But as he walked, as he began to slowly walk out the corner and walk towards the chair, his back began to straighten. And by the time he got to the chair, his back was completely straight. He didn't even have to sit on the chair. It's amazing. But what moves my heart and touches my heart, and this is where I will end, and we'll pray, is that the mother, one of the mother, uh, of this particular household had got out of bed at 7 o'clock in the morning. She didn't know God. She didn't know Jesus. But she knelt beside her bed and cried out to a God she didn't know. God, if you're there, if someone is there, please help me. Please help my family. They're all sick and I just don't know what to do. I'm on my wits end, Lord. Please help. God, if you're there, and at 7 o'clock in the morning, in the answer to her prayer, we had left Colrain. So we are the, the hands and the feet of Jesus. And God is leading his church out of the building. And it's so amazing what God is doing here with this particular church. The heart of Jesus beats at the very heart of this church. This is a, this is a wonderful church to be. If I lived in Ballon, this is where I'd be. No. Nice no. <laughs> the heart of Jesus is right here, and you know, you're going to see, you'll see amazing things. You will see amazing things, and people will come to you. God's going to send you resources, all that you need. You know, it's going to grow rapidly, and uh, you, God is going to bring you before leaders as well.